If you want to get rid of all the ads, just choose the David McWilliams Plus option on Apple Podcasts and you'll hear us without any clutter or noise or ads. Lovely, John. Beautiful. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable, too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. To understand the economy, you have to understand human nature. This podcast is powered by Acast. How you doing there? Podcast time. Hope everything is flying along. Mad, mad week. Mad times, actually, John. It's really are bonkers times. I'm going to actually, <laughs> this, this podcast, we're going to talk about the difference between how you feel, John. Oh, right. About yourself and how you feel about the society. Have you got your psychotherapist hat on I you? I have. Just, just call me Freud. Just call me Freud. Lie down there on this duvan and we will discuss yes, what's going on in your head. No, the... This podcast is going to be about something which is a global phenomenon, which is when you ask people about how they feel about themselves, mm-hmm. so subjectively, people are really quite positive. Yeah. But when you ask people, how do you feel about the society, the country, people are really quite negative. Now, both, why, of those things, why is that? both of those things can't be true at the same time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If you are all feeling good about yourselves, then you aggregate that up, and we have to be feeling good about society. Mm. And so this is all about how we feel about the economy, how we perceive the economy, how we perceive ourselves, and what it means for politics and election cycles and how we vote. Yeah. So it's basically, it's, it's, but it's a worldwide phenomenon. It's basically, there has been a massive upswing in pessimism, in global pessimism in the last few years. And you can feel that everywhere. Absolutely, yeah. But there are so many reasons to be pessimistic. And yet, when you ask people, there are, but also when you ask people about themselves, they're very optimistic. Yeah. So it's this divergence between optimism and pessimism and why survey data and economics can actually give two very, very different results about how people feel, number one, and then what it means for politics. Of course, the most spectacular example of this is in the United States, where pessimism is completely rife. It's right. kind of a, yeah, yeah. So the Americans catastrophize everything, right? Mm. Of a, but you'll actually enjoy this that uh, I know because you I know you like Donald Trump. Love, him, love And him. you know that woman, Marjorie, what's her name? Taylor Green. When Donald Trump was arrested last week, yeah. She described it. Now it was over Easter as akin to Jesus being arrested. That's right, she did. 
And, and, and up in the Garden of Gethsemane. Yeah. Trump in the Garden of Gethsemane. Exactly. <laughs> and I think she also said, you know, this is Wednesday, Holy Wednesday. It was the day that Jesus was arrested. Trump is arrested and Nelson Mandela was arrested, which he was I, in the court. I love that. So Jesus and Nelson Mandela and, and your mate, Trump. Donald Trump, all together, right? But Donald Trump feeds on pessimism. He's the master. He feeds on pessimism. So we're going to talk about that. Because I think it's a, it's a fascinating subject. And something that is driven by technology and evolution and history and the way our brain works and all that sort of good yeah. stuff. Okay, that's going to be good. But before we get there, I just have a question for you. Go. That's been rattling around my head all week. And that is Saudis. We're going complete side here. This is typical, John. Where are we going? Saudi Where are you taking me? Where are you taking me <laughs> on this journey? Saudi Arabia have cut oil production. Yes, I saw Therefore, that. Therefore, the price of oil is going to go up at a time when we're battling inflation. Like we've been doing okay on inflation. It's yeah. beginning to come down. But is this going to pump inflation back up? And what do you think that means? Well, it's an interesting thing. It's, you know, like what... The last two years since the end of the pandemic, do you remember we did a podcast when oil prices were at zero? Yeah. About three years ago. Yeah. Oil prices went to zero. That's right, yeah. Since the beginning of the pandemic, which is again something we kind of forget, we actually had a pandemic in the last couple Mm. of years, right? There has been this intriguing and perplexing idea. Saudi Arabia seems to be now increasingly operating in its own sphere. So in the past, it was very much an American puppet state. Mm. Now the Saudi Arabians are not that, and it's evidenced by this, this idea of cozying up to Iran, yeah, cozying up to China, much more all that sort of stuff. Yeah. They are much, much more emboldened. They're more independent. They're more sovereign. And what they want to do is, as the swing producer in OPEC, mm. their ability to amplify price movements with just very modest quantity supply constraints is phenomenal, right? That's what they do. Mm. And what they don't want is they don't want to see oil prices fall below certain levels, simply because if you think about what Saudi Arabia is trying to do, Saudi Arabia is trying, believe it or not, to under MBS, right? So Mm. park the fact that he is a murderer Mm. and he instructed the murder of Khashoggi, right? What he is trying to do is he's trying to wean Saudi Arabia off oil, right? Which is an amazing thing. And they're trying to recreate this enormous new tourist industry yeah. in the Red Sea and all this sort of idea. So what they need now is they need lots of oil revenue now to pay for this transition that they envisage right. to solar and to reorientating Saudi Arabia. Now, quite how you can have Sharia law with you know, Terra Molinos yeah. amazes me because that's what they're trying to do. Yeah, yeah, they're yeah. trying to have Sharia law and Vegas together. Good yeah. luck with that, mate. Yeah. Okay. Well, I suppose they're modeling it on Sharm el-Sheikh in Egypt. Sharm el-Sheikh and the UAE, particularly Dubai. Yeah. yeah. Right. And that's where they're trying to go. But to do that, you need oil revenue. Yeah. So it's in their interest to keep oil prices high. Now, how that percolates to us is it means that this ongoing inflation is because a huge amount of inflation is energy driven. Mm is going to be difficult to get down to 2%, which is the central bank's target. Now, that means if we keep a target of 2% inflation rates, the West does, it means real interest rates will be very, very high. I think we're looking at 
you know, interest rates of four or five percent, maybe for the rest of the decade. Right. If okay. this keeps going. And then that has an impact on all the investments that were taken during the pandemic and yep. before yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're all priced for interest rates yeah. at zero. So, so this, this is an ongoing sort of. I had my conspiracy hat on thinking always, that. Always. Always. Yes. Suspicious John's actually going to do his own podcast called <laughs> John Davis's Various Conspiracies, right? <laughs> See, damn good idea, actually. But that it was influenced by China and that whole drive away from the West and Saudi Arabia looking more eastward. I'm not so sure. Put the screws think, on America. I, I'm not so sure. I think that I think that the fascinating thing about oil prices is they are demand-driven, in effect, not supply-driven. And by that, I mean in the long term, Saudi Arabia needs a buoyant Western economy. Mm. It also could do with a buoyant Chinese economy. But I'm not too sure that it's a conspiracy where the Chinese are pulling the strings. I, I think in a lot of cases, you know, sometimes we put down to great foresight what can actually be explained by just very short-term yeah, ideas. Yeah, they just, sure, sure. They want to keep revenues coming in. Yeah, I mean, there, there, there are kind of lots of conspiracy theories, but that's probably part of the bad news cycle and the pessimism that you've been talking about. Well, we're going to do this. This, this project is going to be called The Economics of the Amygdala. Ooh. Right? The amygdala is that very historic evolutionary part of our brain yeah. that signals the fight or flight reaction to fear. Mm. and to danger, and to signals is coming in. And what we're going to talk about is what I call endism. Why the world seems to be captured by endism, the end of the world, the Armageddon, the catastrophes, yeah. right? And how this is playing out in economics, in political cycles, and all that sort of stuff, right? Recently, Americans were asked if they were satisfied with America, right? And 85% of Americans said, yeah, reasonably satisfied with their lives, right? Mm-hmm. Then they were asked if the country is going in the right direction. And only 17% of them said yes. So that's a 68% gap between subjective satisfaction and mm. objective. So 85% of Yanks think, yeah, the world's okay. Yeah. Think about this. Only 17% think the country's okay. Now, how do you explain that? Similar things in the UK. UK, 64% of Brits think the country is heading in the wrong direction while only 21% of Brits think their lives are heading in the wrong direction. Right, okay? so it's, is it a case of, I'm all right, Jack? It's a case of something is going on in our brains yeah. which makes us feel that what is happening out there is much, much worse, but in here is okay. Right. So it's the idea that how do you explain the fact that we have this extraordinary fear of what is about to happen in society mm. and anxiety, which is played upon by various political players, right? And yet if you ask us, well, how's your own life going? We're actually it's, quite chilled about it. So we got similar figures for Ireland, but it's much less extreme. Yeah. Ireland is the most optimistic country in Europe at the moment. People are the most optimistic. Really? Yeah, absolutely. Wow. Which is why if you asked, I mean, if you ask foreigners who come here, they're like, why are you guys complaining all the time? Yeah. Right. Ireland is, uh, according to Eurofund, which is a big EU barometer, Ireland is the most optimistic country by a long, long way. And yet, in the case of Ireland, if you ask Irish people, I'm amazed are they that. pessimistic? I know, yeah. but I'm not at all. But right. I, well, I'll tell you why I'm not. But if you ask people, only 7% of Irish people say they're pessimistic about the future 
for their own lives. Right, yeah. But if you ask us about the country, 26% of us are pessimistic about the country, right? So there's, again, a huge gap. But that 26% is still the lowest in Europe. Right. We are by far and away the most optimistic people, which makes complete sense. I mean, the economy here has been chugging along for ages. Sure, sure, sure. The society's open. Society's much more liberal. It's much more tolerant. It's much richer in the aggregate. So it makes sense that compared to Greeks or compared to Spaniards or compared to people who are really suffering, like a great example was today in Italy, the Italians have the lowest birth rate this year the lowest birth rate yes. since 1861. Wow. The Italians are not having kids. And not having kids is probably the most fundamental indicator of pessimism, pessimism. about the future. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you notice that in the post-Soviet countries, that they stopped having children after the collapse of the Soviet Union because the people thought, my God, the this future is so world. over. Yeah. Why would you bring a child in here, into this world? So, But do you think that you know this difference between subjective and objective views is that about you know we can control our own lives to a certain degree but we can't control out there out there the world all that kind of stuff there's an element of the control in it i think where it really comes from is evolution okay because i think that we have this bizarre situation humanity that we are still an animal that is informed by many hundreds of thousands of years of evolution mm. and Let's say we've been knocking around here out of Africa, I think people say about 300,000 years ago. Right, yeah. And we've only been settled for about 5,000, but let's say about seven or 8,000 years, right? So if you imagine of that 300,000 years, 95% of our existence has been as an animal in a nomadic tribe. Yeah. When we were both predator and prey. Yeah. But we were prey. We were attacked by other things and our chances of surviving were quite slim, Right. So by the time we settled down, we acquired this extraordinary evolutionary mechanisms in order to heighten our sensitivities to danger because you could be killed at any minute. Mm. And the little part of our brain is called the amygdala. And the amygdala is this little part of our brain that signals what we now know to be fight or flight. Yeah. Signals there is danger, that signals you would want to tense up here, that signals, okay, this is very, very worrying. And because, even in evolutionary terms, we prioritized bad news over good news. So, for example, the bad news is there's a tiger over there. As opposed <laughs> to the, really bad, all right. As opposed <laughs> to the good news is, oh, look, that rose smells really nice. Yeah. Okay, so imagine you're Johnny Hunter, Johnny Nomad, Johnny Hunter Gatherer, <laughs> right? And you're hanging out in the, in the savannah and you're kind of chilling out, right? You will prioritize bad news over good news because bad news, if you don't prioritize, will get you killed. Yeah, right? so it's a survival instinct. So we have this instinct. We have this mm. survival instinct, right? So therefore, the 21st century iteration of that is when we process messages. Imagine that news is only information, right? So let, yeah. let's take out the fact that it's called news and let's say this is information. This is signaling. This is messaging, right? Yeah. The information that is bad or is threatening, or is anxiety-inducing, is still prioritized in our heads over information that is soft and sweet and gentle. Yeah, right? sure. Okay. Now, take that animal that we are and superimpose that animal into a world of the news cycle. And what it gets is, and I remember this from, you know, presenting TV, Mm. 
Always, like doing radio. Yeah, 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 yeah. If it bleeds, it leads. Yeah. Right? Yeah, so the idea is, I remember like presenting the breakfast show at News Talk, yeah. which was a great laugh. It was a yeah. total hoot. Chaos, right? Going up against <laughs> oh, going up against RTE's Morning yeah. Ireland yeah. with me and two interns. Right? Yeah. <laughs> and they had a team of thousands, right? It's true. It was really, it was a hoot. Yeah. But again, but that, was, that was like me in, in BBC as well. I mean, the, the, the number of editorial meetings, news editorial meetings, when it's all decided. Yeah. Bang, bang, bang. One, two, three. Top stories. And then everything else is... And the top stories are always... Always. Always negative stories. Mm. Right? And the reason they're always negative stories is they grab attention. Right? Yeah. So take that. Amygdala. Evolution. Feeds into negative stories. Negative stories grab attention. Why do we want attention? Because we are now in what you could describe as the attention economy, right? Right, This okay. comes into social media, mm. right? So the whole world, all the advertisers are paying to grab your attention, John, for a little bit more than the other advertisers. But you're saying, though, that in the last few years that this pessimism, this bad news has been growing, becoming more prominent now, it's, why it's, is that? Is that kind of, in the last few years, sure, we've had COVID and pandemics well, and that kind of it's stuff. It's interesting you mentioned COVID, right? In the United States, again, this is a fascinating, there was an article I read by Dave Brooks in The Atlantic a couple of right. weeks ago. Yeah. And it was on this issue and it was full of amazing statistics. COVID coverage globally was 51% negative. So 51% of the stories about COVID were negative. They were about threats. They were about sickness. They were about deaths. Yeah. They were about contracting the disease and the implications of that. Yeah. So that's half of the stories about the other half were we've got a vaccine, it's not as bad as you think. If you do this right, they're good stories. Yeah. Right? Yeah, yeah. Relative, right? That's in the world. Okay. Yeah. In the United States, 87% of all stories about COVID were negative. So in the right. United States, almost double the ratio of negative stories, oh, well, right? Why is that? That this comes back to the American obsession with advertising. Right? Right. This is the amygdala idea. Yeah. Right? Yeah. That the Americans want to trigger people's attention. So what they do is they put out those stories that they know are going to actually get people to freak out. It's kind of clickbait, mm. but it's clickbait that actually changes our worldview. So if you're absorbing all these negative stories all the time, of course you're going to feel out there is fucking shit. Yes. My yeah, God, yeah. there's a big monster, right? Out there. Because this is what you're taking in all the time. So what you have, I mean, you know, imagine a world where there's just one newspaper, mm. right? And your engagement with that newspaper is once a day after your dinner. Yeah. Like I have memories of my Aulad reading the Even Herald after dinner. Yes. Right? Sitting in the corner reading the Herald. Right? That's, that was his one engagement with the news in the late 1980s. In the late 1980s. Yeah. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was it. Right? Me at his age, has got this thing in my pocket, which is full of messages. Well, I was going to say that, like in the last few years, coupled with all the all the other stuff that's going on, we are at the mercy of our phones. Exactly. And all social media. Social media is kind of like, you know, super turbocharged the, the news cycle. So we yeah, always had the news exactly. cycle. When you and I, when you were presenting News Talk Breakfast and I was in BBC World Service, yeah. there was a news cycle and there was... You know, it was 24 hours and it was all that. Now it's it's by the minute. It's Because you know, we're into this world of the attention economy. Yes. So actually, if you think about Google and Facebook and all these companies, mm. what actually gives them their revenue is advertising. And what gives them their 
advertising is a little space in our attention span. So therefore, they're trying to think, the newspapers and the, the media cycle is trying to think, how do I get clicks? And how I get clicks is by being negative. And how this then translates is a profound difference between what people think about their own lives mm. and what people think about the world outside their own four walls. This leads to extraordinary pessimism. And into this pessimism feeds all sorts of political characters and creatures who can gain out of pessimism. Now, it's, this is not a new phenomenon, but it's just an amplified phenomenon. Like in 1892, John, Ooh, yeah, there was a book, <laughs> one of the biggest selling books, yes, we're off. One of the biggest selling books of late 19th century was a book by a German fellow called Max Nordau yeah. and was called Degeneration. And it was translated into many, many languages. And it was about degeneration, how the world is degenerate and the world is going to go to hell. And created a movement which, which you could probably call Endism. God, that's pessimism. Yeah, 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 yeah. And it was created a book called Endism. And Endism is like people who believe that the world was about to end. Right, yeah, but yeah. But not the world, but everything was about to end. Mm. And they're like E.R., they're like apocalyptically programmed, yeah, right? Yeah, Now, of course, we, we know that sex sells, but so too does danger. Mm. And what historically humans have always been interested in is dangerous things. Why do you think we have this concept called rubbernecking in motorways? Yeah. People want to see bad things. But it's weird. Yeah, I know. And it's interesting. They want to hear bad things. But it's interesting that Facebook, when they used their machine learning to analyze messages and all that kind of stuff, they found that posts that angered people fueled more engagement than posts that pleased them. So any time yeah. they used anger emojis, it amplified the engagement. So the news spread so much faster and so much quicker around the world. And of course, that was more the clickbait. So they whip people into a frenzy. Well, absolutely. If A, it whips people into a frenzy, and B, what's also very interesting is when you look at the data and you see who is getting into a frenzy. Yeah. Right? So who is pessimistic? Is it very poor people? that have reason to be pessimistic? Are they the people leading this charge for degeneration, for endism, for mm. pessimism? No. What you find in the United States, because they have the data, it's typically reasonably well-educated white men, right? Okay. And middle-aged. Yeah. People who watch your man Tucker Carlson. Yes. Right? Yes. Yeah. And when you actually look at who, who's actually watching that, it's not poor people. Yeah. It's actually reasonably well-off people. We're watching, who have the time to watch this stuff. I mean, it takes time to watch the news, right? Yeah. There's a time to do this. So what you're getting, and this has come back to our friend Trump and Brexit and all those things, or we talked a couple of weeks about Netanyahu or Erdogan and Turkey or yeah. whoever you want to take, you know, it's even the Moscow elite in Putinism, right? What you have is that A, pessimism sells. B, we are being mugged by our amygdala, yeah. which is elevating danger because it's programmed to do so, even though that danger is gone by and large, because we are no longer prey, right? We are much more predators at this stage. The news cycle amplifies it, and a certain type of individual becomes obsessed by it, and they spread the pessimism. And how that then translates is that the vast majority of people have some really jaundiced idea of how the world is actually working. And the way in which you identify that gap is the gap between what they think about their own lives and what they think about outside, or the society. 
And then that feeds into all sorts of desperate political movements, which are based on catastrophizing the world. Let's get into this, actually, and the impacts of this catastrophizing after this. Grant. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. So, Mike, you're saying that there's a massive gap between the kind of objective view of the world and the subjective view of the world. And there is a rise in pessimism. Yes. The old negative news cycle. This obviously has a major impact on economics and politics. Huge. Absolutely huge. So what is the impact? Can you explain that out? The thing is that just because it's not new, right? Yeah. Pessimism and the... Well, the end of the world is nigh, has always been around. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And so we we mentioned Max Norda earlier on. There's other... Huge selling book. Again, it always came from Germans, by the way. It was uh, Hmm, Oswald Spengler, 1919, after the First World War, writes a book called The Decline of the West. And it's a huge seller, right? Right. Spengler is... East or West German, actually? They were... I don't know where they were from. I couldn't tell you. I couldn't tell you. But they were all German. They all wrote in German, right? And they were captivated. And in actual fact... You can see Hitlerianism from all this. So Hitler was, the idea of Nazism was, all comes from this idea that a great catastrophe was about to befall das Volk, the Mm. nation. And only through blood sacrifice and and, and poor Pierce was at the same sort of stuff. Mm. There was a huge early 20th century movement anchored in pessimism. And regeneration. But the problem with the... There's the right wing here as well. But the the problem with the regeneration regeneration involved cleansing of okay. agents of that were bringing down the folk. And for that, you can read communists, Jews, blacks, whatever, right? Mm. You know, so you don't, the problem with pessimism is that if you whip up people into a frenzy of pessimism, they will naturally then look for a leader. And that leader will naturally then, this is to answer your question, mm. identify areas where a simple solution can be offered. 
and typically it will be take back control or drain the swamp or whatever it is, some small slogan. So two things are happening at once, right? When pessimism reigns, the potential for demagoguery is incredibly high because people want a saviour. And typically a saviour can be, you mentioned earlier on, Nelson Mandela. Mm. Atypical saviour, Nelson Mandela, Martin Luther King. They're atypical because they are actually almost messiah-like figures. Mm. Much more likely is the small man, the small big man, the Putin of this world. And they feed on insecurities. They create a warped sense of history. They tend typically to look at the elite as the problem and the common man not being the problem. And this is why it's very, very dangerous. So this is why in societies where actually people feel okay about themselves can be unbelievably taken in by pessimism. And all that pessimism, which is unfounded, but it's actually because our amygdala, our evolutionary amygdala is playing tricks on us, can actually lead to enormous changes. So, of course, the 1920s and 1930s are the period. So all this stuff, this is why I mentioned Nordown Spengler. This Mm. is all in the ether. This is all in the ether. It also tends to come at times of great technological change, which people tend to... Because that's the unknown. It's the unknown, and it's also great technological change tends to encourage people into what I would call a a, a sense of futurism, Mm. right? That we have this new future. So if you think in the 1920s and and, and those, you've got electricity of radios, these are huge changes, Mm. right? And they're changing the way people talk to each other, right? Changing the way people live, you know, you've urbanism, all this sort of stuff. And of course, comes out of this is modernism, you know, in, in art and culture and you know, literature and all this stuff. And but at the moment we have, it's the whole change in AI and precisely. GPT oh, and all that stuff. All that all stuff. Yeah. And you take it into networks and you take it into, as you said, this amplifying news cycle. Mm. And you have this extraordinary thing. So like even in Ireland, for example, how this plays out, right, is that Irish people think there's far more foreigners here than there are. Right. And so yeah, Irish yeah. people think that a quarter of the population is foreign when it's actually 17% right? It's still high, but it's significantly less. Mm. Irish people think, because we've got a housing crisis, that less than half of Irish people own their own house, when in actual fact it's about 70%, right? right? So Irish people think that 41% of the population live in Dublin, when it's 28%. See what I mean? So all the areas where we are agitated... I would have thought that as well, actually. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. So all these areas where we are agitated, where we feel that the world is different tends to display this disparity between Mm. perception and reality. And negativity is contagious. You know, it's it's like a virus. Mm. Because if you get nervous, I get nervous, somebody else gets anxious, and that's whole thing. People are chatting all the time and and another thing. And and another another thing. thing, And and another thing. And then it leads to, and because again of this this extraordinary negative news cycle, it leads to a breakdown in trust. So again, I'll give you an example. Recent UCD study, right? Mm -hmm. So Ireland is objectively not a corrupt country by any international measure. Yeah. Ireland is not a corrupt country. Yeah. Yet... Well, Charlie High's not around anymore. But yeah, but no, it was a corrupt country. No, it was. <laughs> yes, I, mean, I know. <laughs> yeah. And that corruption went all the way down to the guards. Like I remember 
you know, coppers who you'd get a summons and it'll be quashed by a copper union. Yeah, oh yeah. Absolutely. That's corruption. Yeah. That was the way in which the copper actually had power, right? So low level corruption, you know, owning islands off the coast corruption, right? Yes. Yeah, but it's yeah, all yeah. one part of it. But we're not corrupt now by any international measure, right? Yeah. However, because of all the negativity about government and about the state of the place and the Ireland, the what I call the Ireland is a kip brigade, right? right? Half of Irish people polled do not trust our government to be honest or truthful. Half, right? And 58% of people believes the government actively communicates inaccurate or biased information, right? Now, well, there obviously is the, the government spin. spin. Is, yeah. They absolutely spin, right? Yeah. But to actually think that the government is not honest, we don't trust them, they're corrupt. Mm when the evidence is that their government is not that corrupt, right, I think is pretty weird. However, what we get then is the bizarre thing. On the one hand, this sort of negativity allows demagogues to come in and seize the day. Mm. But on the other hand, liberal democracy has this bizarre creature called the ballot box, right? And much as many people do not accept this, the ballot box is not Twitter, right? Yeah. Twitter is a different world, right? Yeah. And actually what happens, and this is why I think that during elections, certainly in countries like this, you'll find that the extreme positions, which are now very much regarded as going to dominate the election, will actually diminish because people go into the ballot box and they go in all fired up about out there. Yeah. But the minute you get that little piece of paper and the pen, you actually realise you're in here. And people vote about their own situations. But Twitter is, is you know, when you're talking about the extremes on either side, they're always the loudest voices but, and, and therefore influence and they fire people up. They do so, fire people up. So, but I mean, what I'm saying is the, the, the right and the left have learned to their detriment that the electorate are not Twitter. Yeah. The vast majority of ordinary Joes have their own opinions. They're really well figured out and they're grounded. Yeah. And when they go into election mode, what tends to happen is, yes, you might be concerned about things happening out there, but you actually begin to think, okay, well, how are things doing in here? Mm. And what happens is that gap between negativity and positivity, what I've called objective negativity, and subjective positivity narrows dramatically in our type of system. However, in a presidential system where it's a, a fight between two people, like the American system mm, or mm. the French system, yeah. and the president has enormous powers, so it's like a beauty context, those negative ideas become amplified. So because our system is pure, right? It's local-based, it's choice-based, you've got all this sort of thing. We tend to vote much, much more, not even conservatively, but much more of a reflection of how we feel about the world. Right. In the United States, because it's got a presidential election, it's like a two-horse race. Mm. A lot of the noise gets, I think, amplified and fed into it, which is why people like your friend, Jesus, Donald Trump, <laughs> yeah. has a chance. Because he feeds the negativity the negativity feeds into them and he becomes the emblem of resentment, yeah. of distrust. 
I mean, nobody does resentment quite like Donald Trump. Absolutely. And what he resents is the fact that he was never, ever, despite his wealth, accepted into the New York elite. He was always regarded as beyond the pale. Yeah. And he resents, and resentment drives him. And he taps into other people's resentment. And that resentment is amplified on Twitter and all those places. Yeah. And Tucker Carlson and all these things. And that's politics of the 21st century. And we've got to get our head around it. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.